This sermon, Our Mighty Fortress, was preached by Derek Overstreet on Sunday, July 9, 2023, at Sovereign Grace Church. It's a psalm that I'm sure many of you are familiar with, but let us never become familiar with it, if you know what I mean. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Lord, this is your word to us, to your people. And we ask that you would cause it to lay hold in our hearts. I pray for every person here every person listening in on the live stream, that we would humble ourselves right now. That you would remove all distractions. That you would cause our hearts to be fertile soil for the seed of your word. Lord, that we would be transformed by your word, that it would be gold and silver, more precious than gold and silver to us right now. Holy Spirit, empower us to not just hear your word, but to hear your word, to walk in it, to trust, to find comfort because it's your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I grew up in the Northwest, and in the Northwest, if you've ever been there, perhaps you lived there for a while, um, in the Northwest, rain, wind, just generally stormy weather is pretty much on the daily menu. You might get a few windows, of nice, beautiful weather and 
And that seems to be when everybody who visits the Northwest, they go then in that one window and they think it's so beautiful. Uh, Stormy, rainy, windy weather is the norm in the Northwest. And growing up there as a result, sprinting to shelter was the way you got to where you're going. Nobody, we rarely walked from our car to the shopping center. We rarely walked from our car to the church. You got ready. Okay, honey, you ready? Yeah, okay, let's go, break. And you kick that door open and you run. You sprint to the building so that you get as, so that you can stay as dry as possible. Sprinting to shelter in the Northwest was a way that we stayed in shape, basically. (laughs) And you know what I'm talking about without even living in the Northwest. If you've ever been caught in a blizzard or around here a monsoon, right, where where the skies just open up, that, that moment of rushing through the elements to get to your car or your building, slamming the door behind you, and though the storm is still raging outside, suddenly you have this sense of relief. Suddenly you have this sense of calm. Suddenly there is a sense of safety that makes the storm fade away, even though it rages on the outside. There's almost a sense of being in a refuge. I'm safe from the storm. Well, that's the picture that David gives to us in Psalm 46. Everyone runs for safety in a storm, and life is filled with storms. Jesus promised it. The history of the church proves it, and it will be that way until we are in heaven. So the question is that when the storms of life rage around you, where do you run? Because we do run. We seek cover. We seek refuge in the midst of storms. Everybody runs. But where do you run? Where do you seek refuge? It's an important question because where you run makes all the difference in the storm. In fact, where you want run reveals where your heart is. It reveals where your hope is. And so whether it's to spiritually comfort you in a current storm or prepare you for the coming storm, and if you're not in a storm, the storm will come. Just like the monsoons are right around the corner. They're on the calendar. They're on the weather report. Well, you have storms coming in your life. And Psalm 46 gets us, if you will, in spiritual shape. It gets us in spiritual shape for the storm. It gives us endurance in the storm, if that's where you're at this morning, by coming to us as a strong friend, encouraging and compelling us to seek our refuge in one place, in God. And it does this way, it, do, it, it does it in, by saying in no uncertain terms. Three words. God, God's got this, if that's proper English, proper grammar. God's got this. Whatever storm you're in, whatever storm you may find yourself in, Psalm 46 breaks into that and, and proclaims, God has got this. 
Your country may be out of control. The culture may seem out of control. Your situation may look out of control. But David says, run to God. He's got this. He's got this. Three points this morning. God's protection in times of trouble. God's protection, God's presence in times of trouble. And the third point we'll land on is God's proclamation for times of trouble. But let's look first, God's protection in times of trouble. Verse 1 is very clear. David says, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. We could just spend the entire time on this verse. In fact, in the dark and tumultuous period of the Reformation, it's said that when Martin Luther would get discouraged, and he had great, he, he knew storms, he would often say to his friend, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. It's this psalm that we're in this morning, the 46th Psalm, that would later inspire Martin Luther's timeless hymn, you know it, A Mighty Fortress. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Psalm 46. Psalm 46, the the hymn is aptly named because this is the message of Psalm 46. So let's, let's look at verse 1 here. The, 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 this is not to be parsed out uh, too, too much. It's meant to, the imagery here, the words here, the language is all meant to go together, to come together, to communicate one great point. The first thing that, that David says is that God is our refuge in verse 1. What is a refuge? A refuge is a place of safety. It's where you go to be protected. It's where you go to be free from danger. My, my, one of my brothers just recently moved to Florida. In fact, last spring, he moved to Tampa, Florida. And he, within weeks, the storm Hurricane Ian, do you remember that last, last summer, rolled through there. And boy, did he learn what it means to seek refuge. Everybody in the state of Florida, I think, was told, seek refuge. This is a serious storm. Take us seriously. Don't ignore us. He learned what it meant to to find a place of safety so that the storm would go over them and they would be protected. Well, David says God is likened to this fortress that we can run to in the storms of life. He is our safety. He is our protection. He is our refuge. But he doesn't stop there. He then says he is our strength. God is our strength. In God, we not only have a place of safety, we find the strength to face our circumstances and sufferings. We find the power to persevere and deal with the storm of life. And it's not a natural strength. It's a supernatural strength. You notice what David says. God not only empowers us, he is our strength. Did you notice that? God is our refuge. He 
is our strength. He himself is your power in the midst of the storms. And then he says God is our very present help in trouble. The word present there, this may be on the footnote of your Bible, in the uh, footnote of the page of your Bible, but the word present there could also mean well proven. God is well proven in the midst of trouble. And the point here is that, that we have a refuge. We have a strength in our Lord. He is faithful and he is sufficient. That there is no storm in life, there is no situation where he is not sufficient. He has been faithful. Perhaps as David penned this, he thought of his own life and his own troubles. Perhaps he thought of his forefathers, the Red Sea, perhaps. Perhaps he thought of those who went before him, God's faithfulness to him. This means that he is always with us. He is a very present help in trouble. Listen, don't don't misunderstand this. David is not saying God will assist you. (laughs) It's not as if he's coming alongside of you. And it's, it's your strength plus his strength. No, God is your help. He is your safety. He is your strength. He is sufficient for any troubles you experience. First one is this. First one is, in essence, David's way of saying with rich imagery, God, God is greater than my trouble. God is greater than the storm in my life. Charles Spurgeon said of verse 1, he says, God is our all in all. All other refuge, all other refuges are refuges of lies, and all other strength is weakness. Our only impregnable, accessible, delightful place of retreat is our God. That's what verse, that's what David is saying in verse 1. God is. God is our strength. God is your refuge. And that matters. That matters. Because notice what David says in verse 2. Therefore. First word out of his mouth. Therefore. Which points us back up to verse 1. Because God is our strength and refuge, because God is our present and proven help in trouble, therefore, look what he says, we will not fear. We will not fear, and then he, he uses imagery again that would seem to communicate apocalyptic moments in our lives. 
Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Those pictures, the earth giving way, the the, the mountains falling into the sea, the oceans roaring and foaming, they're metaphors for the troubles and trials of life in a fallen world. They're not easy. They're difficult. They're real. So he puts forth, listen, it doesn't matter what's happening in my life. God is a refuge for me. The mountains can be falling into the sea. The the, the oceans can be raging and roaring. God is my proven, my present help in trouble. And we need this because... Trials and troubles expose our weaknesses, don't they? They do. And and oftentimes what we do is we allow them to, well, to isolate us, right? Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody really cares. And when we get there, we start to clam up. We move away from fellowship. We don't show up at church where we're fed these wonderful truths about our great refuge. We abandon our relationships in community group, people who know us, people who are for us. Fear has a way of setting in. And when fear sets in, we we become irrational. (laughs) We begin to justify how we're responding in our situation. We begin to point the finger at other people. Well, the church and well, my pastor and well, that person in my community group. Well, my boss. We become irrational. And that's the effect of sin. Sin is irrational. And objective truth, like Psalm 46, 1, The very thing we need most in the moment is usurped by subjective and often self-centered feelings and emotions. And that's all we want to talk about. Can I listen, if you're there, can I just tell you this? That is Satan's work of deception. That is Satan. You are standing at the tree in the garden. That is the way Satan gets to you. He wants you to toss out objective truth for your subjective feelings. It doesn't mean our feelings and emotions don't count. David is very real, but he always does what? He always subjects what he's feeling to the truths that he knows to be true. And that's where he comes out of it. That's where freedom lies as you look upward to see the Lord. And if you're there today, if you, you are allowing your experiences and your feelings and the situations in life to usurp, usurp the truth of who God is in the midst of your storm, I just want to humbly submit to you, humble yourself. And 
Repent. Listen, God is merciful. Hebrews 4.16 says that, that because we have a high priest, that we can do what? We can approach the throne of God with confidence. And he says we'll find two things when we do that. First, we'll find mercy. You know what that means? It means you will not be turned away. You can come to God with your sin. That's what repentance is. Oh, Father, forgive me. And, and Hebrews 4.16 says, he will have mercy on you. Because you come in the name of your great high priest. You come in the blood of your Savior, Jesus Christ. He will be merciful to you. Don't be afraid of repentance. Run. Repentance is the pathway to change, to real change. Repent and allow Psalm 46, God's mercy and his grace to redirect your thoughts, to redirect your, your heart to a loving and all-powerful God standing above it all, including you and everything that you're experiencing right now. And don't let this idea of a fortress, you know, when we think of a fortress, God is our might of, right? I, I don't know about you, but I think of a castle, Right? dark, hard, unforgiving, gray, whatever they use, the brick, right? It's sterile, it's cold, it's not necessarily a friendly place. No, God is a fortress. He is a, a fortress of love. Right. This fortress that our God, he, he is not just some cold-hearted, get-on-your-knees you want mercy. No, he, this is a loving fortress. He is a merciful fortress. He takes joy when his children recognize, oh, I have wandered like a sheep. Father, forgive me. Listen, if you're there today, run to your mighty fortress. Remind yourself, he's got your situation you don't have to live and respond to life the way you are. He has something better for you. Oh, so much better for you. The second thing that we see here is God's presence in times of trouble. Notice verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Guess who's in the midst of her? God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. There's that word fortress. What, what a contrast. What a contrast. If you just read through this, you, you notice that, that there's a shift. There is a sudden shift between, verse, uh, between verses uh, 1 through 3 and 4. The turbulence and the chaos of the trembling mountains and roaring seas of verses 2 through 3 have given way to peaceful streams. <laughs> In verse 4, if you've ever been in the mountains, you know how peaceful and calming streams can be. Amen. 
Streams are a place of life. They teem with fish. There are birds drinking, ducks floating. And maybe you'll see this creature that likes to stand in the water and move a stick like this. It's called the Tim Lambros. <laughs> Fly fishing, in case you didn't get it. The stream, the river here, it's a picture of calm. It's a a picture of peace. It's a picture of life. Did you notice what the next verse, what David calls it? He calls it the holy habitation of God. It's not holy because Tim is there. It's the habitation of God. And the point here is that this river, these streams, they signify God's great promise to his people. That is his provision and his presence with them, even in the midst of verse 2 and 3. Just as David could walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. Do you remember that last week in Psalm 23? He could face the trembling mountains. He could face the roaring seas of life without fear because God is with him. The Lord of hosts, who is a fortress, is with him. He is in the midst of his people Today he lives and dwells with us by his spirit. He is here this morning. If you are troubled this morning, you are in the right place because God is present when we gather like this in a unique way. Oh, he's with his people everywhere you go. His spirit lives in your heart. But when God's people gather, it's a taste of heaven that is unique to what we experience when we gather on Sundays. He is here offering you streams of water if you would look to him. I've never been in an eye of a tornado, but it's probably a little bit like this. I did see the movie. What was that movie called? Uh, Hurricane or tornado or... Yes, Twister. You remember that movie? And they sent these little eyes into the, right? And it was amazing. In the midst of all this case, swirling chaos and destruction, they actually have discovered that right in the middle, it's peaceful. It's safe. Streams. God's presence. That's the hope that is put out for us. Psalm 46 reminds us that that what has been the hallmark of God's people since the garden, his presence, is never detached from his people. He never abandons you. God never leaves us because our troubles stump him and he's afraid he's going to get a loss. He is your ever-present refuge, your ever-present strength. Let's make sure that we understand this, okay? 
the, the, the idea is that God is not off in the corner keeping an eye on us like an out-of-place chaperone at a high school dance. That, that's not the point here. He's not trying to be inconspicuous with his presence till he knows exactly how to deal with the issue. No, his presence is ever. He is ever present. And his presence is powerful. It's more powerful than the most powerful storm. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, uh, uh, yeah, verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. I, I, I absolutely love verse 6. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. It, it, it is a picture of mankind sticking its chest out. It's a picture of sinful men pounding their chest as they position themselves for fame and wealth and power. It's a picture of the mayhem and the destruction men cause out of their arrogance. It's all around us. But it's also a picture of you and me living in a way that ignores Corndale, that we live life under the eye of God, that we live in the presence of a living and mighty God, and yet we live as if he's nowhere to be found. So we rage. So we totter back and forth. We're tossed about by our feelings and our emotions. We're in and out of trusting God and not trusting God. We're in and out of being satisfied and not being satisfied. So don't just think, just don't think of your president when you read Nations Rage, Kingdoms Tottering. Just don't think about, uh, 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 about the opposing political party. Don't just think about the dictator across the ponds. It's us. But notice what he says. The world's troubles and our pride are no match for God. Look at the end of verse 6. God speaks one word and the earth melts. One word. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds you of Psalm 8. The moon and stars that you send to place are the work of your fingertip. God sits above it all, and all he has to do is utter one word. And the earth melts. And it has nothing to do with climate change. And if you're on that ship, don't get offended. One word, and the earth melts. One word. One word. I'm going to keep saying it. God utters one word. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. God sits above it all, and he speaks one word. 
This is the one who is with you amid the moving mountains and the roaring seas. Look at verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. That's your refuge. I think a simple translation is God's got this. God's got this. And listen, nowhere did God speak louder than the cross. In Jesus' death and his resurrection, the power and penalty of sin were melted away for all who put their faith in Jesus. If you're here this morning and you feel weak, you're here this morning and you are scared, you see what's going on in our world, you look at your life and you are scared, you feel helpless, you feel weak. Or perhaps you feel strong and secure in yourself. Either way, you can do nothing to melt away the power of sin and death. You can do nothing to melt away the penalty of your sin that every sinner must one day face, take. It's the one battle that matters the most, and it's the one battle you cannot win. It's the one battle you cannot win, but Jesus did. He melted away the power and the penalty of sin at the cross. And the word teaches us that if you acknowledge him, it's called faith. You put your hope in him. You run to the refuge that is Jesus. Guess what? That one act on a cross. Your sin. The penalty of your sin is melted away. And you don't have to figure it out. You don't have to become somebody. You can walk in off the street, be sitting here, and not even know what this book is called. But if right now you come to a place by the mercy of God that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, and you need your sin, and you need the penalty of your sin melted away before a holy God, that faith in Jesus secures that. That's all you need to know today. That's all you need to believe today, is run to Jesus. Now, the third thing that David says is that God's pronounce he, he points us to God's pronouncement for times of trouble. Look at verse 8. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Do something. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes the wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
The claim of verses 1 through 7 is found here in verses 8 to 10. It begins in verse 8. Come. Therefore, God is your tower. He is your refuge. He is your strength when the mountains are foaming. So come and behold him. That's faith. That's faith. For those who aren't believers, that's faith. To come and behold him as your wondrous Savior. Come and behold the works of the Lord. This is an imperative. It is a command. If you want to call it a forceful invitation, go ahead and call it that. But, but the point is to look up and consider God. To rise above all the noise and troubles of life and consider the one who, notice what he says in verse in verse, uh, wow. In verse 9, <laughs> come and behold the one who makes war cease, who breaks the bow and burns the chariots. In other words, come and behold the one who never fails, the one who is mightier than the mightiest. And at the heart of this claim on our lives is in verse 10. Look what it says. Be still and know that I am God. I was years ago, not this church, we were part of the Gilbert Church. I was going through a difficult time in my life. And um, sitting in community group, and we were talking about this very verse. And somehow I got called on. I don't know how the conversation got to me. And I said, well, I, I said, it says, be still and know that I'm God. And I think right now the Lord is just telling me that I just need to not talk. So I really have nothing to share. That was not the right interpretation. <laughs> and my community group leader graciously called me out on it. Yes, folks, sometimes part of community group is getting publicly rebuked. <laughs> Not everything you say in community group is right. So the community group called me out on it, and they began to unpack that. What do you mean? Where do you, where would you, how, what does that look like? That's not what David is saying. Just pull back. You just need to be still. It's, yeah, I take a break from church, take a break from community group, take a break from the Bible and prayer. I just need to be still. To be still and know that God is God is to, to look up and mortify your anxiety. It's to cease in your self-sufficiency. That activity that makes you God in a sense. It's to stop trying to carry your burdens alone. It, it means to stop interpreting your life apart from God. Politics do not inform who you are. God does. Truth does. Your paycheck and your career do not make you the person that you are. God does. 
Stop interpreting your life apart from God. God says, let me be who I am in your life. Be still. Turn away from these things. Recognize me for who I am. Believe that anything that gets in the way of my purposes for you, I speak and it melts if I so desire. And if you're looking for application, here it is. Where do you need to be still and know that God is God? Where? Our struggles and our suffering and our fears, they need this question. They need something bigger and better that puts them in their place. Where do you need to be still and know that God is God? You know, that we're all guilty of this. We, we turn to so many other things to ease our worries, don't we? And our pains. I'm a fix-it guy. And I want to fix my kids, even when they're adults. I want to fix my grandkids, even though I'm not mom and even though I'm not dad. I want to fix, fix, fix. The Lord says... Stop trying to fix. Start praying for them. Start looking to your own, stop looking to your own wisdom and strength. Start giving them Jesus. We, 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 we look to other things to ease our worries and pains, and in so doing, our lives just become like raging kingdoms, tottering nations. But you know what, in Christ, we have another way to deal with the world, don't we? We have another way to deal with what is going on in our life. We have a mighty fortress, an unfailing bulwark of protection and provision. So how do we get there? We wait on the Lord. We sung about this morning. We wait on the Lord in prayer and time in his word. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. We don't draw back from that which we know that will feed us like a Sunday gathering like this. We, we prioritize a gathering like this, even more so when we're struggling. We, 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 we think we become irrational when we struggle. Oh, I don't need church. I don't need to be with the saints. I don't need to sing with them. I don't feel like singing, so I don't know. The writer of Hebrews, perhaps his most direct application is, guys, stop forsaking the gathering. <laughs> you want to have your faith built up, get yourself to church where the word is preached, where you're singing with the saints, where you're praying with and for one another, where you see people just like you experiencing real storms just like you, and some of them, their hearts yet are filled with joy in the James 1-2 way. It strengthens us. Preach to yourself more and listen to yourself less. Know that alcohol is not a good refuge. Scripture's clear. Don't be drunk on wine. Be drunk on the Spirit. Christ. Christ is the cure for what ails me. Preach truth to yourself 
more than you listen to yourself. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, take every thought captive. Why? Because it's a good, what does it say? To obey Christ. To obey Christ. Preach truth to yourself. Let God be God in your life. Where do you need to be still and know that God is God? And do not interpret that as sitting on the couch with a bag of chips watching the football game just waiting for the Spirit to work. He won't. (laughs) Well, he may, but that's not what Scripture says how he works. You know what Scripture says in places like James 4, 6? God gives, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, humble yourselves. Draw near to God. Resist Satan. Wring your hands in sorrow over your sin. That's what it means to let God be God. That's what it means to be still and know that God is God. But listen, the claim here goes on our lives, the claim here of Psalm 46 in our lives goes beyond, way beyond the storms of life. I know we've talked about that a lot in the last few weeks. Psalms, that, so many of the Psalms are about that, but there's something else that it speaks to here. That is, our tendencies as believers now, our tendencies toward joy-robbing condemnation. Maybe you didn't think about that one when you thought about running to God as your refuge. Listen, condemnation is a form of pride that says, I just need to do better. It's as simple as that. I just need to do better. I just need to do better. When we sin, godly conviction turns our eyes upward to our Savior, where I find him there pleading for me. Condemnation turns my eyes inward to my efforts, and that's pride. So here's the thing. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? How? Because the very sin that condemns you has been dealt with at the cross. Jesus didn't just utter one word. He uttered three words from Calvary. It is finished. And the moment that he uttered those words, the penalty of sin melted away. The penalty and the power of sin melted away. Jesus did all that needed to be done to melt away the penalty and the power of your sin. And this is the victory. This is the promise of the gospel that is ours by faith. And so when we go to Psalm 46, it's not just about a hard life. It's not just about circumstances around us. It's about our hearts. It even speaks to our struggle with condemnation. When Satan tempts me to despair in the face of my trials or my besetting sins, I run. I run to the mighty fortress that is Jesus and him 
crucified and resurrected and ascended. That's what we have that David in some way saw. But we can look back where David looked forward and didn't understand it fully. We, we look back and we see a crucified Savior. We see a hill where our sin was dealt with. Three words put the, the death blow to our sin, melting it away forever. When we get to the end of this passage, Jesus is the Lord of hosts who is with us always. Jesus is our fortress empowering, his empowering presence with us and his blood that washes us clean. So let Psalm 46 not just speak to the problems you're having in the workplace. Let it speak to the sin that is condemning you. The sin that is dogging you. To see that at the cross it was melted away. If I can have the worship team come up. I want to notice how he ends in verse 10 and 11. Again, be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. What a promise. What a promise to end on. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the outcomes, you can be filled with hope and joy. And God, your mighty fortress, will be glorified in and through your life, in and through what he is doing. The nations don't win. Satan doesn't have victory. He's been defeated. God says, I will be exalted. Relax, Derek. I will be exalted among the nations. I, I will be exalted in the earth. I will see to it. I've got this. And if I've got that, surely I have whatever ails you. I proved it at the cross. And my presence is with you every day. You never go anywhere without me that work for your good. Therefore, therefore, you have nothing to fear. God's got this. Let's stand and sing.